Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining, live from the U.S. Open at the U.S. Open, like literally like on the courts. We are on court six, not standing on the court, but we're in the third row of the of the bleachers here. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm great. How's your U.S. Open been so far? So far, so good. Busy day today, obviously. It was media day and draw day, which are normally two separate days that were condensed into one today. So a bit of a busy one, plus last round of qualies. There's kind of a, a lot very going busy on day. today. Yeah. Very busy day. I guess we're at the U.S. Open. It's very different. Yes. I've, I've, I've said for a few years already that U.S. Open was improving at the fastest pace of any of the four Grand Slams. Other people countered that they started from the worst place. I don't dispute that completely. I think the French Open was equal to them. But it, like the amount of change and evolution of this place in the last three years especially, since they renovated this 4-5-6 court three year, two years ago, uh, there's so much. And all the all the... Uh, looking at numbers, new grandstand is over there, seven, eight, nine. You, know, you were out on nine today, I'm guessing. I, what, what do you think of, of the changes in, in this new U.S. Open and obviously the roof? Obviously the roof. No, I mean, I think that it 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 was much needed. It definitely has been revamped. It's been modernized. Um, yeah. I think that's definitely the case. I mean, I remember the first time that I came to the U.S. Open years ago that, that it felt like it was run down and you felt like that, you know, boy, it would be really nice if they could like revamp things. And they have. And, and uh, so it looks incredibly modern. It's very New York to me. I mean, I was on the bus with you yesterday, Ben, when we rolled up. Yeah. And you heard some of my initial kind of takes of, of kind of a little bit of confusion here and there. I mean, it's, it's weird because I really loved the, the old feel of things, even though it was run down, a lot of exposed brick. There was a warmth to it. Now it's the, the tournament has kind of become the concrete jungle that is New York. I it's mean, been it's, a color palette shift from yeah. a lot of red brick to yeah. a lot of like Modern slate gray, slate gray, cinder block, uh, metal. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of metal Metallic, usage yeah. here. Uh, um, which you know, different strokes to different folks, but I mean, regardless, it, it was necessary. And I think that uh, setting aesthetics aside, it's not really the aesthetics of a tournament that really speaks to me. Uh, the, what the U.S. Open kind of looks like now on the grounds, but in terms of the fan experience, these changes have transformed it on a massive level. This is a great, I think, fan experience now, having now sat on some of the courts and actually watched some tennis, you know, in some, some of these bleacher stands that didn't exist, you know, four or five, six years ago. Now that they're here, it looks fantastic. It's a great feel and it's a great experience. I think that U.S. Open gets crapped on a lot in terms of tennis, people going to all four don't like the commute and everything. But I think the on-site product here, uh, including in the stadium, like night sessions here, I think I would put it toe-to-toe. Wimbledon's so different. Wimbledon's its own animal with all of its traditions, but I would certainly put it toe-to-toe with the other two. And, mean, and say and, and be just and be proud of my slam. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that was what and I was about to say. we were defensive and American about it. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's, that's part sure of it. USDA is... does not feel like I'm standing for them on any level, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I feel like that, you know, this is a very American slam. Yeah. And so as two Americans, you know, it, it speaks to us on very basic levels. The food here is fantastic. It's the best slam food of any any slam. By far. By far. I've had two filet mignon steak sandwiches in the last two days that were 
phenomenal. Two, two solid sandwich buys, although I would never pay my actual pocket money for them because they're 17 bucks a pop. <laughs> but, you know, I can use my media credential and eat them for free. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's very American. It's big. It's loud. It's bombastic. It's, you know, there's always something going on. It can be very... Um, overwhelming from a sensory perspective. And I think we hear that a lot from the players, you know, the way that they describe New York as a city is very much what the tournament is. And that applies to every single one. I mean, the French open is very French. It's very Parisian. Wimbledon is very British and it's kind of quaint nostalgia for a Britain that maybe doesn't exist now anymore, but it it definitely has that kind of classical British feel. And the Aussie open um, has transformed itself in in a lot of the same ways to be very Aussie, to be very uh, Asia Pacific rim uh, slam. So this is a very American tournament for better or worse. And as two Americans, I think we'd probably say for the better. Let's wrap up with another American tournament, which we did not do a show about Cincinnati from Cincinnati. Uh, that was a Masters event that something surprising happened at, namely somebody, a child won it. And a child is by the <laughs> definition of being someone younger than Novak Djokovic. Marin Cilic is not young, but he won that tournament. Uh, first guy ever younger than, ever born after Novak Djokovic. People get so confused by this stat. They're like, but Novak was 20 when he won us. Yeah, I get it. No, people like no one after May of 87 birth had ever won a Masters event out of, you know, 80, however many opportunities. Chilich finally does it. This one was the one that was there for the taking. I mean, Federer wasn't there. Djokovic wasn't there. Nadal showed up with, you know, half a wrist and just generally banged up and tired. And Murray did incredibly well to make it to the final, running on fumes after winning Olympic gold. Uh, Chilich wins. I've always been a, a, a low-key Chilich, you know, booster. On the show, I, I've said before that I think he'll win another slam and, you know, be, will be a, be in the mix of these things. And everyone sort of thinks that's ridiculous. Do you think it's ridiculous still? Do you, or do you think that Marin Cilic in this sort of disappointing generation can still assert himself? <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. So many things to unpack in that last statement. Um, look, I mean, I think that over the course of listening to this podcast, I think people know kind of what our collective take on the general on people who can win slams and there are going to be people who are younger than you know the big four who are yeah. going to be able to take advantage of a time when that big four is either compromised or not here and so right the now the, rule, yeah the roundage so. rule and yeah. the big four is currently compromised without roger in Very there with so. you know with the, some of the questions around rafa's health although he looked fantastic at the olympics and he's new clearly, questions about Djokovic. new questions about Djokovic yeah. as well you know, I don't think anybody really saw this 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 uh, stretch of Andy Murray being so consistent and playing. I mean, I think I said it in Cincinnati, at least to you, that it's kind of remarkable that Andy Murray, like, look at how consistent he is. I mean, he's not he even won- playing his A-plus tennis, and he won Olympic gold, uh, Wimbledon, and made the final since he, None of that was, like, peak Murray. He's been so bankable. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's playing his average stuff has been great enough. And Which maybe he, he, was on, com- he, he, was on, he was on yeah. a twenty-two match win streak before he lost. The yeah, challenge. and maybe that's a commentary about you know the the transition period and stuff, and, and and about you know kind of the next generation of of men's tennis players to kind of step up and recognize that this is a big opportunity now, but, and now it's time to like shift into another gear. But, Lord but right knows, now, it's but not Lord so knows that Murray paid his dues to get oh, that moment. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> duh. Trust me, you don't have to tell me. Uh, oh, so much sadness. <laughs> Uh, in terms of ladies who played tennis in Cincinnati, uh, another surprising winner of uh, similar ilk, I guess, sort of Carolina Pliskova 
coming fairly out of nowhere. I don't think she was someone being talked about going into that week. She skipped the Olympics, was not considered one of the bigger Olympic pullouts, um, but she did and came in fresh and went through a pretty tough draw, at least in her final three rounds, beating Kuznetsova in the quarterfinals, Muguruza uh, pretty convincingly in the semis, and then very convincingly over Angelique Kerber in the final. Kerber, like Murray, had been on it, had played all the way through the Olympics and Maybe it was a little bit out of gas, but Pliskova played well. And I guess for her, and we'll get to draw specifics of these two Cincinnati champions eventually. How big a win is this for her to put her on the map? She's been a talked-about person. She's in this Bouchard, Robson, Stevens generation. She played against them all in juniors, her and her sister. Uh, is she is a launch tournament for her, or does it still all come down to her having never made second week of a slam? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue for Pliskova has always been that she really never had the big wins and she went into Cincinnati having never beaten a top five player at a tournament, like a tour tournament. She had beaten Halep at Fed Cup, but she was she had never gotten a win. And so she knocks two of them off in very convincing fashion in Muguruza and Kerber and uh, only dropped one set all week. And that came to Kuznetsova, served lights out, you know, leads the WTA tour in aces, um, you know, quality player. I think that it's interesting to hear her talk about competitive you know, comparing 2015 to 2016, because 2015 yeah. was her breakout season. And, and, you know, she cracks in the top 10, hits a career high number seven, played pretty consistently, but never really got the big wins. Now, I think that she, well, now obviously this could be very self-serving because this is what you say when you have won the biggest tournament of your right. career, which is that like, you know, this is more, this is more important to me. It's not about being consistent. It's about proving that I can beat anyone in the world. I can have a good, you know, tournament at any time, like that the small wins and kind of the weekend week out consistency isn't as relevant to me as I think pretty much what Pliskova uh, says her, at least where she says her head's at. So, you know, it's a big, it's a big title to me. The wins over Muguruza and Kerber were particularly big. Although, as you said, Kerber somewhat compromised from the Olympics. Muguruza obviously very up and down and, and had a bad day, just very flat. So I thought that her, her three-set win over Kuznetsova was actually quite the proving ground because she did drop that set and she came back and, like, rebounded really quickly out of the, the, into the third. For me, with Pliskova, I kind of assumed that she's dropped out of the Olympics in order to kind of, like, rest up because of just all the matches she played last year. I think that she was a bit tired in the first half of the season. But she said she hit the courts. She, she used that time to, like, rededicate herself to put in a good practice block. And it paid off immediately. So I think that this is the tournament at the U.S. Open that we see Pliskova finally crack that slam slump, make the second week. I think she has a good draw to do it. And then once she kind of puts that little milestone to bed, I think that she starts to become, you know, the top 10 contender that I think she is because her game is, is I mean, when it's on, as it was on in Cincinnati, it's uh, it's pretty unstoppable. She is one of those, just like, I remember I saw a match she played against Muguruza in Indian Wells um, in 2015, 14, I forget which year. Uh, you can look it up if you care. And it was on Stadium 3. And like just the purity of her ball striking was amazing. She, for all the players, um, particularly you know the Chinese one who get compared to Lindsay Davenport, she is like the most sort of, I think, Davenportian player. And her movement's not there, but just her hands from the baseline are so incredible. She just doesn't miss time many balls. And when it's working... And when she can dictate, you see how fast she made it. Like, Kerber didn't have, wasn't able to prolong any rallies because Pliskova just ended them so quickly. Yeah. And that's what, you know, her coach, Torben Belt, said afterwards. Just, yeah, she wants to play long rallies. And 
wasn't an option today. Yeah, no, I mean, then that's the thing with Pliskova. She's going to swing big. She's going to go for it. She's got that bit of a brain in that way. Although Petra tries to rally. I mean, it's the weird thing with Petra is that even though she can hit that big ball, she hits with a little bit more, with far more margin than than Pliskova does. And there's there are times when Pliskova, in terms of her ball striking and how clean it is, it reminds me of Thomas Burdick a little bit. You know, in terms of how clean his ball is and when it comes off the racket, just the timing is so natural. So, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting one. Definitely a player that we'll be keeping an eye on in New York. So because we are re- recording this podcast al fresco, um, <laughs> the wind just blew my draw sheets away, but I got them back. Are you ready to talk about some U.S. Open? Yes. Such cinema verite, Courtney. <laughs> uh, dudes or ladies first? Your call, my friend. All right. I'm just holding the mail on top, so we'll do that first. Novak Djokovic. Uh, question marks about Novak Djokovic. It was, it was a, it's a short but interesting press conference from him. He admitted that he's, you know, hit a wall, as he said, whether and it was whether it was a two-prong wall with Quarry and Del Potro matches uh, with a Canada intermission between the walls. An odd sort of architectural picture I painted for you there. It would not be a very sturdy building, whatever I just said. Anyway, he's here. Does he have... I guess you weren't at his press conference probably because he is not a WTA constituent, but overall from what you've heard about him saying or what you've seen in his, in his losses, because you didn't see both his losses, obviously, do you think that he is in, should he be considered the favorite? Let's put it that way. Because he certainly would have been with a bullet, you know, after the French Open, he would have come in here with everything. I think with the exception of the Canada win, which didn't come against many top players, it's last few months have gone about as bad as they could have. I'm not that down on Novak, to be quite honest. And maybe that's my own ATP ignorance. You know, maybe I'm not as, as granular as I once was, kind of like, you know, picking things apart. Sure. But, I, but yeah, I guess that's the flip side of it. I mean, I think the big picture, I still consider him the number one player in the world. I still consider yeah. him the best player in the world. The rankings I mean, have him up by 5,000 points. Yeah, still, but so I mean, I, but even then, I mean, you know, he's playing obviously with, you know, a bit of an injury. I think that that's, you know, more the concern is, is just, um, how he is doing physically, how that fact that he does have, uh, what is it, the wrist injury, um, that, you know, how that plays with his mind a little bit and affects him mentally. But I think this draw is great for him. I, I really don't think that it's it's a problem at all in terms of getting himself at least to the semifinals. The, o- the only quick problem I see, the first week problem I see is possible second round against Yuri Vesely, who's played well in flashes this year, beat him Monte Carlo, beat team at Wimbledon. Uh, best of five, Yuri Vesely does not beat Novak Djokovic. I don't think so. Round. I don't think so either. But it's the one I would circle as a as a possible landmine, and then Isner possibly, I guess, in the uh, in the fourth round. But again, probably not. Isner has had a rough year. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think the draw does work out pretty well for Djokovic until quarters with the aforementioned Marin Cilic. If Marin Cilic keeps playing as well as he was in Cincinnati, according to again making faces. Uh, which are not suitable for podcasts, but they express a lot of feelings. And yeah, so okay, I'm fine. shrugging. I'm just shrugging. I mean, I, I just don't. You're shrugging think... with your face. It's a good skill. Hmm. I just think that, <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, Marin Chilich had a great singular week. I just, I just, I don't think that it was a week. Like, for example, when, when Chilich won the U.S. Open, that was an incredible run. The tennis that he played, the level of tennis that he played, throughout those two weeks I thought was incredibly he was impressive he was peaking I don't think Chilich necessarily hit that in Cincinnati no. uh he really I mean Dimitrov absolutely uh choked in the semifinal 
um, that was a brutal and situation. That was and 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 Dimitrov really should have come through that. Chilich never should have been in the final. If, if you think of how uh, Dimitrov was just unable to hold leads and was blowing things, it was just insane. Shout out by the way for Dimitrov making a master semi. We yeah, didn't see that coming. Yeah, that, so that was, was good. good. That was good. So you know, best of five over the course of two weeks. I just don't know. I, I just don't. I don't. Don't consider Marin Chilich a threat yet. Happy to be proven wrong. I like Marin. He's a super nice guy. I hope that he does well in his career. I just, I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't, I don't see it. I don't, it's not compelling to me quite yet. I saw Marin walking around with his brother. Have you ever seen his brother? Mm -hmm. They look so much alike. Yeah. It's adorable. And the brother was wearing, because Marin's now sponsored by Fila, and the brother was wearing his old, like, leaning hand-me-downs. <laughs> it was adorable, all of it. And they had this, and they had this sort of vibe of, you know, just when it's just like, we rule the school vibe as they're walking around. It was, I can't describe how happy that, like, five-second <laughs> pass by Mamie, but it was great times with the Chilliches. Uh, the other match, first round match I would fly, flag in here is a rematch of an Australia match between, Australia first round match between Jack Sock and Taylor Fritz, uh, which was a damn mess. Uh, it was, it was, there was Very a lot messy. of, there was a lot of questionable match tactics and what people try to veteranly play by Jack Sock, we'll say that, uh, which left a bad taste in many people's mouths. You watch that match. Uh, Fritz hasn't played great lately. The other All-American match in the first round here is Isner Tiafo. So those were the two sort of young guns, the two top young guns, or t uh, two top 18-year-old Americans anyway. Uh, both getting put in that quarter. Uh, yeah, next quarter has Nadal and Ronich, which is pretty, I think it's a pretty balanced quarter. I mean, yeah. I, I think uh, Nadal should be very clean to make it through to the, I would think, the uh, quarters. Yeah. Uh, Istamin is, is, can get hot in the first round, but probably won't. Uh, same goes for, you know, uh, Bellucci. No, that's his third round, so I don't think Bellucci will make it that far. Uh, yeah, I, I think overall Nadal has to be pretty happy with this draw. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a, it's a solid draw for Rafa. It'll give him opportunity to get through. I mean, potentially Istamin, then second round potentially Seppi third round potentially Ramos Vinolas um and then yeah round of 16 against uh I guess RBA yeah. who's playing well who's been to the final at uh in Winston-Salem I believe this weekend so but you then, dropping Winston-Salem knowledge I read my Twitter <laughs> uh yeah so you know and but you know always there's always that concern about playing deep in the week before whether or not you have any gas left in the tank there so yeah I mean I think this is a great draw for Rafa to gain confidence and so long as he's feeling like his tank is full and and that he's he's hungry which he always is i mean do we ever doubt that he is and uh yeah he should be fine but that quarterfinal matchup against potentially milos raonic definitely something you circle and then a uh, bit of a 50 50 well i would say 50 50 yeah, i would actually i would give i would give raonic an edge i would say raonic. See, i would give i would give rafa the edge but okay continue but but i would also say that i think the one tougher floater not floater but the one tougher seed in the section in Milos's way is Malfis, who's yes. a possible fourth round. So I would, I think, I think a Malfis Nadal match would be a lot of fun. I think Ronich, Ron, Ron, Ronich gets to play, uh, Ronich plays Dustin Brown first, and that's sort of sad because Ron, Ron, Ronich is the one person who can, I feel like, can kind of suck the fun out of a Brown match, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a funny situation because Ronich, Ronich could open against, or he will open against Dustin Brown. He could play Benoit Pair in the third round. There's a potential pair. Baghdadis second round, which you know what, put that on the on on well not even grandstand, put it on one of the the full gen, the biggest general admission court you have here. Seventeen um, maybe. Seventeen, yeah, that be, that should be fun. And then potentially Roundage against Malfi. So he's playing a bunch of these like 
fun, potentially fun, like he could potentially play all these fun players and he has the game to kind of neutralize the funness of those matches, unfortunately. But um, hey, it's effective. It's tennis. He wins, you know, these things happen. Uh, bottom half features uh, a very fun quarter here. Uh, Nick here has got the really popcorn draw. He's in the middle of this quarter. He could play uh, Bernard Tomic in the third round, which is hilarious, uh, just based on Australia levels. They had minor beef this year, but that's not, I think they're kind of both over that. Yeah, but but just the, the two young Aussies going head to head would be great. And then he could possibly play Stan Wawrinka. They had major beef last year, um, but they seem to be more or less over that. Wawrinka, um, this is a quarter with a lot of opportunity, I think, really for uh, Kyrgios and the other guy, Juan Martin Del Potro, could not have asked for a much better draw here. Uh, he gets Schwartzman first. Uh, then Johnson second, Ferrer, who's been awful, third, uh, team fourth, or Query. He's got to love this. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's actually not the easiest draw for Del Potro. Um, I think that, you know, Steve's playing very well. Um, you know, Del Poe, can he recover from the Olympics? I think that's a big question mark as well. I don't necessarily assume that he, he can. I think he, he, didn't, he didn't play be... Cincy or this week. I understand, but there's yeah. a lot of, I mean... Puig didn't either, but I don't necessarily think Monica Puig is going to come in here and play at the level that she played at, at the Olympics. And, well, no. you know, I think that, that um, you know, I, I would love to see it. That's what I want so badly is to see those two players play at the level that they, they did in Rio. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a potentially tricky draw for, for Juan Martin Del Potro. Um, and also Sam Favrinka first round against Verdasco. Yeah, that's, that's, that's danger. That's danger. And, and Stan hasn't really been playing well. so Yeah, he hasn't. It's an opportunity so it, there. It, it's the team and and uh, Vavrinka, I think, are the two softest of the top eight seeds, or in their respective one through four and five through eight brackets at least. And they got in the same section. So that's the sort of surprise section. It's where you want to have real estate. Hell, I mean... I was going to say Query can do something. Query can make fourth round. There's no reason Query can't get past team. I think a team. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I just, team looks out of gas. Yeah. Team really, for all the talk about how he was feeling fine by hitting a wall, team hit like a wall and just stayed against the wall. And the wall is still there. So many wall things. You're right. obsessed with walls right. during this podcast. It's a bit, bit, bit weird. Yeah, it's a little Trumpy. Trump. Sorry. Yeah. So this next section. The bottom, the final quarter is uh, Andy Murray's quarter, and Andy Murray has to be pretty happy, I think, with how his things worked out. I mean, Rosal is an uncomfortable first round. Rosal, in a swing for the fences, uh, has obviously had a big win before and just keeps guys on their toes. That was an odd buzzer sound. I guess the first period is over of, and they're talking. Exactly. Again. It reminds me of Garbina Muguruza's press conference day where an Amber Alert yeah. went out and like everybody's cell phones started going off. I feel like the U.S. Open always has these alerts. I always get Amber Alerts and like flash flood alerts. Yeah, while I'm here. weather weather alerts. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, like silver alerts too. You get sometimes here. Um, anyway, Andy Murray's in here. I like his chances of getting through comfortably to the semis. I don't think Nishikori's the guy to beat him these days. I do want to give a shout out to one of these people who's in our draw as qualifier playing as Paul Henri Mathieu, who's Christian Harrison. Uh, Christian Harrison was probably the biggest surprise of uh, qualies, yeah. of uh, making it through uh, ranked 688 after all his injuries and various hip surgeries and shoulder issues and infections and things. And he's come through. I actually have some audio of talking to Christian after he's coming off the match. And at one point, he gets handed the phone and his brother Ryan is on the phone. And it's adorably bro -y. From bros. Being bros. Here's that. Um, did, did you did you doubt that this was coming? 
Honestly, Ever. I always believed in myself just because I, you know, have, have had so many people just, you know, that are behind me when I'm just practicing at IMG, just always saying, you know, I believe in you. And a couple of people that I really appreciate, my my dad, my brother, another guy, Thomas Hogstead, yeah. who uh, he coaches Madison Keys now, but he's always at IMG. And he's always giving me words of support, uh, closest friends in the world. And it's just you know, I, I wouldn't be here with, without everybody around me the way the way they were. I mean, because you you were out so long time, and this is your yeah. best slam result in singles. Yeah, it's only my right, right my out of the second, gates. My second slam yeah. ever. The only one other one was yeah. four years ago. And yeah. you know, I came in here just thinking, you know what? I just want to put myself in a position to win first round. I I had won a tournament the week before, and I was just like, you know let's see what happens and also I knew just in the crowd sometimes you you can just got, get guys breakthrough Ryan did it six years ago uh, you know when he was 18 he qualified was in second round had a huge result and uh, you know I was there watching him and um, just just the energy that you can get just playing here it's uh, unmatched anywhere else how much were you thinking about this sort of moment as you were going through all the rehab oh, all, all, this all, yeah. all day like I was it keeps you going yeah everything. you know of course you know you always have your moments where you're down and Honestly, like my goal for this year was to try to do well in the futures and just prove that I was healthy and get a chance to get into the qualifying with the wild card because by you know May June I kind of realized that I wasn't going to get my ranking there, but just a wild card being the only chance because I just hadn't played tournaments to get the points. <clears throat> and then uh, you know just from the guys I practiced with at IMG who are at this level and just how I do against them in practice, you know I knew I was there, but it's different playing in a tournament, so I was just trying to just treat it just like I'm back home in Bradenton, just at at, at any other practice court and just going in with that same mindset. Yeah. Even with the support, is it always as easy as it seems? I mean, because you were out for a long no, time. I mean, I mean, it, it's I mean, it's just it's, yeah. I mean, people, you know, I think remember you and they just sort of, you sort of, I uh, doesn't feel this way, you yeah. just fell off the map completely. Yeah, well. And now climbing back up, having to start from the bottom, losing yeah. your ranking. What, what, like, how, how much you have to brace yourself for the sort of grind um, of that? You just have to stay, for me, it's just staying grounded, keeping my head down and not getting caught up with, you know, the, the outsiders and what other people are saying because no matter where you're at, you're always going to have that. And you just got to have, a, you know, just a true self-confidence in yourself that, uh, that you can do it. And I knew I could come back because I'd come back from a long layoff. This, is, this isn't my first time. Yeah. I did it when I was like 14 and a half to 16. And so I knew that I, I came back from that, put myself in a position. And I was just like, you know what, I'm going to just, just do the things I, I, I know I was doing to, to do well then. I was always writing them down. And just that way you don't just forget what, what you're doing and what was working. Awesome. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks a lot. Congratulations. Good to see you, see you back. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> I know, man. Andy Murray is, like we said, has been so solid. Should he be expected to make this uh, final? Routinely-ish. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's in, obviously, the half of the draw that you want to be in um, that doesn't have Rafa. Uh, floating around in here. Um, you know, I mean, Nisha Corey has a great draw, I mean, into the the quarterfinals. Yeah. So I think that, you know, if, if Kay can actually take care of business without any drama don't, and not play needless sets um, of tennis and have a full tank of gas in the second week, I think that, yeah, I think that absolutely he can give Andy Murray a run for his money in that potential projected quarterfinal. Um, because, you know, the other seeds that are in this, uh, this Andy Murray quarter, it's obviously Andy and Kay. Philip Kohlschreiber, Ivo Karlovich, who's playing well, but again, well enough to get into a second week, I don't know. David Goffin, who hasn't really been doing much since uh, we've transitioned away from yeah. the play court season. Feliciano Lopez, eh. Grigor Dimitrov is around here, but again, lots lots to prove for Grigor and uh, Gilles Simon. So that's like a, that's a really, 
that's a dream quarter to get to 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 the semifinals. Not too bad. But I mean, I do. I probably give K a little bit more of a heads up and a little bit more focus of being a guy who can spoil that for Andy. I mean, K to his credit is finally notching top ten wins, top five wins. Sorry, after not having done so for years. And he played great and, in Rio. Yeah, it was one of the he, he beat he beat uh, Rafa Rafa in the bronze medal match, which was a well contested match from all accounts. Had beaten Stan, who's flailing a bit in Canada, so he's he's getting some some needed scalps, which is good. Uh, overall, you're picking Novak to win this title. Um, I'm inclined to pick Novak to, to win the title. Um, to me, it still comes down to the, the, the big four of which are represented by three. So Novak, Rafa, I mean, it would not surprise me to see Rafa kind of storm through. And if something happens to Novak, he becomes, I think, the favorite out of the top you think, half. You think Rafa is in title discussion here? I think so. I don't. Okay. I think so. I don't think he's ready for that. I mean, I don't know where he is physically. Um, no. I, mean, I don't have a, as good of a, a sense as to where he is physically, but I think that I just was incredibly impressed by how he played in Rio. I was not expecting that level from him after that long break. So that was pretty impressive. Now, did he overplay? Did he kind of like, he you was, know, injure the wrists? Or is he more concerned about it now? I don't know. Th- he, those are things that, that are remain up in the air. He was tragic against Court Chorich in Cincinnati. Yes, he was. Yeah, that was one of the worst matches I've ever seen him play. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think that I expect Ronich or I would put Ronich and Malfis actually both ahead of, of Rafa to make the semi out of that, out of that quarter. So I will be selling Rafa while you buy, which is fine. Who beat Ronich and Cincy? Uh, Andy Murray in the semis. wasn't memorable. It was quick. It was like three and three. It was a bad match. I think that Milos has actually been playing that great no, he since Wimbledon. Not since Wimbledon. You're right. Right. You're so right. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm far more impressed with Rafa's level in the last like month than Milos's. So that's why I would personally put Rafa ahead of Milos in the title discussion. But, um, but yeah, I mean, lots of question marks. I mean, the, when you have a full draw and you're looking at it and the person that you see as being the most consistent and healthiest is Andy Murray, 2016 tennis, super weird. Weird times. <laughs> Seriously, though, weird times. Uh, women's draw. Serena Williams at the top of this draw gets a tough, but I don't think that dangerous first round. I don't see how a Katarina Mac, I don't see a Katarina Mac ever winning this match. If Serena is anywhere near okay with her shoulder, I think Serena has to go out there severely compromised to lose in a first round of a slam at the U.S. Open to a player she's beaten pretty routinely, mostly. Yeah, four. Your thoughts? Yeah, she's four and one against Makarova. It's not like you know she's coming up against somebody who's who's you know particularly troubled her in the past. Although obviously Makarova has beaten her at a slam at the Australian Open a few years ago in the round of sixteen. Uh, we know how good Makarova can be. Two years ago, this was a semifinal, yeah. and now it's a first-round match. Rough draw for Makarova. Rough draw for Makarova, but also a player who, I mean, she just got routinely beaten by, I want to say, Radvanska, either Radvanska or Kvitova up in up in New Haven. So, you know, is she in form? Not really. I think that she's ranked right about where we would expect her to be ranked. But you also yeah. know that on any given day, I like that it's, for Makarova, I like that it's the first match for her. To play against Serena, she will be fresh. She will have energy. She'll, you know, just go out there and just play. Um, nothing to lose. Um, so I do think that it's a dangerous match, and I do think that she can beat Serena, even if Serena isn't severely compromised. I, I think that if you take Serena and you put her in a situation where that serve can't get her out of trouble, where it's only just a serviceable serve, once you then go toe-to-toe baseline. Uh, I think Makarova, you you don't give her the edge, but you give her a chance, right? You give her a chance when all things are level and we're just hitting off the base 
Um, I think that that's that's something to keep an eye on. Okay. But I mean, on, but on the whole, it's a tough quarter for Serena. It is a tough quarter for Serena. I mean, she gets after that. Uh, Ivanovic, who's playing not well at all lately, lost to Vekic in yeah. Cincinnati, which was yeah. pretty shocking. Uh, guess in the third round, Larson also might be a more likely third rounder, honestly, to come out of there. Yeah, playing well, uh, playing well, made the New Haven. You had semis. an amazing stat today. The Scandinavian number one. Yes, yes. The, I was like, ooh, that is some Viking tea right there. <laughs> It's a great Twitter handle, Viking T. <laughs> but yes, Ben did tweet that, that Johanna Larson is, as of now, the number one Scandinavian displacing Wolf Caroline Wozniacki, who has obviously held that spot for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and then other people in the fourth round, possibly for Serena, Kasakina has been steady, played Venus very tough at Wimbledon. I think she's a more dangerous player than Stoser. Ah, see, I think I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just feel like Stoser, I haven't, I haven't seen much of Stoser since the French. Fair. So well, you're not going to see much of Stozer on she grass. Played. Well, right, but but, uh, then, but then on hard, I don't think she had yeah. a very good hard season. No, she didn't. She didn't. So. so no, that's definitely true. And you know, but I I think that mat, game to game, I just don't think Daria Kasakina matches up well against Serena. Yeah. Um, although oh, that's true. Australia was not. Yeah, close. that was disaster. Um, whereas Sam, there's a little bit more that that Sam can that's do. True. But then. I think that Serena with Serena, yeah, and I think also right now, I think that with Serena, with the, the shoulder um, maybe impacting her serving, um, I think that that the players that are going to bother her the most are going to be the grinders. It's not going to be somebody who's going like to hit Fidelina. her. Yeah. Like Svitolina was. I, yeah, I think yeah. Kasekina is that sort of formula. So if the players, if she gets there, I think Kasekina is the most likely to beat Serena uh, before the quarters, and then in the quarters she could play uh, Halep is the high seed in the section number five, Halep, who won Canada. Halep's got a tough first two rounds. Yeah. Uh, because Flipkins She's is the draw playing loser. really well. Yeah, she absolutely definitely a draw was loser. a draw loser. Flipkins and then Gavrilova or Safarova, which is just, that's, yeah, draw losing in a big way. And then Babos has played really well in the third round. And then on potentially Vesnina or Carlos Ruiz Navarro, who I think those matchups are a little or bit Yankovic. better for, for Halep. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing, right? Because Simona Halep was a win away from securing a number, a top four seed here at the U.S. Open. Had she beaten Kerber at, in Cincinnati, she would have been a top four seed. That would have obviously prevented this draw from being a possibility because um, she would have anchored her own quarter. Now she's drawn in there and she, you know, has got a tough one. Now, that being said, she's had pretty uh, nice draws in the past. So it's kind of like, you know, tennis karma does come back to, to bite you. So it, it's, it's going to be a big test for her. But Simona Hallett, she's lost twice since the French Open, both times to Angelique Kerber. That's like pretty wow. impressive, like you know, and That's so very impressive. yeah, so and only Did lost. She from, not play. Uh, she didn't play any lead ups to yeah. Wimbledon. So, um, right. and okay. she's playing well. She's got a good head on her shoulders. I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, but but this, yeah. I think it, I think if she peaks and Serena's still iffy by the quarters, I think that's a match that I would normally wouldn't flag that I would be flagging this time. Yeah. I think there are reasons to. Um, the next section, Radvanska's in there, and Radvanska's second round play the winner of uh, Brody versus Laura Robson. And Laura Robson, in classic Laura Robson form, <laughs> and an only Laura Robson moment. Really? Uh, made only it, Laura? Made, I was trying to think of anybody else that this would happen made to. Made it through qualifying, and there were so many reporters there to talk to her. They, they were originally going to talk to her on one of the small, like, uh, you know, standing ta- tables, areas. Which usually, which comfortably fit about four or five people tops. And they were probably about 25, <laughs> maybe. It's maybe 20. Uh, for her, all the Brits and a few other sort of Americans and just generally interested observers. And so they put her in the main room for a Qualies press conference. There were, the other rooms weren't available, but still, it like fit main room. It was worthy of that. Uh, good to see Robba, you know, 
curating Robbo back. Yeah. No, I mean, she played she played well. Eight straight match wins for Laura yeah. Robson. Won the Landisville ITF before uh, coming here. And, uh, you know, had to deal with conjunctivitis. Uh, was in Italy and flew back, which is a crazy yeah, story. Yeah, I'm going to put in the audio of her Italy excursion because this was wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, it worked out, so it's fine. But... Yeah, so I, I played my final on the Sunday and I really thought like no chance and no one thought there was any chance of me getting the wild card. Um, and I was on the phone to Max and he was like not getting good vibes from the USTA either. So he's just going, yeah, go home. And then the next morning, so Monday, I was like, I'm supposed to get on this flight. Should I go? And everyone just goes, yeah, yeah. like. It's, you know, yeah, 10% chance. And so I was like, right, okay. And it was one of those things where I sort of knew in the back of my mind that it was going to happen because as soon as you plan for it not to. Um, But yeah, so I landed in Italy at like 9 a.m. Went up Vesuvius and did a bit of Pompeii and then went straight back to the airport. (laughs) So I had a great time. And yeah, dropped my friends off. at the villa, which was amazing, and then yeah, turn around, and came back. So but how many hours were you actually there? Um, maybe like seven. Um, yeah, but my main priority—I was panicking a little bit—but my main priority was just to get back to London and then get on the next flight here. And um, yeah, my friends were all like, "Go, go!" <laughs> Packing all my stuff. Well, I didn't really unpack anything, but they were like, "Well, at that point, we'd already had a shared iCloud album as well going, so all week." I've had photos of them on a sunset cruise, like having the best time, but no, they're all very happy for me. It was actually a shocker though, because when I landed here with all the travel, I got conjunctivitis and you've never seen an uglier eye. And I couldn't come in here on Friday because I was still contagious. And so they sent me to a specialist and uh, yeah, it's like swollen shut. And you know, when people are like, oh, it's not so bad, but you know, it is. And uh, yeah, they obviously don't do requests for slams, but I saw Laura, the referee, and I was like, anything you can do to get me a Wednesday start? And she had one look at my face and was like, we're going to do our best. <laughs> yeah, but I think Robba being in that sort of goofy, you know, effusive mood, which she hadn't always been, uh, she's, she's feeling good and she's she's no reason place. she shouldn't be. I mean, she's won eight straight matches. Uh, it's interesting, she talked to other points of the presser about how she felt a lot of pressure with the protected ranking. And I think once, and she had a lot of pressure to live up to it, and she was playing up. Uh, not play, you know, taking chances to build up wins. She was playing a lot at tour level, even the wins were not coming or weren't coming close to getting wins. Um, just because, I, and it, it's hard to blame her for because she's a player with a, at that point, looking at a potentially finite career and how can you turn down money? Money, money matters. And opportunity. It's yeah. money and then also if she wins, you know, one first round match at a slam, you know, and, and you know, or, gets, Madrid whatever, or, or Madrid yeah. or something, that's more than she would have won rankings-wise in terms of points than making, like, a semifinal of an ITF. Uh, so, you know, you, she, it didn't work out. Uh, she wasn't able to get those wins. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I kind of uh, roll my eyes a little bit at the criticism of, oh, she should have immediately been playing ITF. She shouldn't have used her protected ranking. I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't understand how much money you leave on the table if you don't do that? And then you... you good players back themselves they they want to give themselves an opportunity and i think that what her stint using her pr kind of showed her was like she's way off and she needs to work hard to get back up there and 
um, and also give her a taste of what she's going to miss for a while because she's going to have to toil away on the ITFs. And now... That's the thing for her. She's, she's yeah. in the main draw on we, her own accord. I think we talked about this in relation to Puig, maybe, when we did the Puig take a number recently, that Robson is one of those players who uh, is best on big stages. And it's tough when you're a best on big stages player who is relegated from the big stages. And so being back at the Open, not that I expect her to beat Aga or anything, um, but she should beat Brody. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Eh, maybe. I, eh. I don't think it's win- that's, Very, very that's winnable. True. It's winnable, but I don't think she should. I think if she loses it, it's fine. No, it's not a bad loss. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, otherwise in this section, um, you mentioned Pliskova before. I think Pliskova is a, a huge draw winner here. I think Pliskova's draw, I mean, probably a chunk of a May Wimbledon quarters is not playing badly, but it, I, I, Pliskova, I think, should be able to back this up and keep this running and could make, uh, semis here. Or I don't know how she, I don't know what head to head it's like against Radvanska, but I, I also, don't, I also don't know that Radvanska should be bankable. It's a lot. Radvanska's eighth is an odd one. I mean, there's no player because Radvanska doesn't like the U.S. Open. I don't think she's ever made quarters here. Right. Um, yeah, but she's. I don't see who beats her here either. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that you know, Radvanska. Well, when we left the media center to come out here to record this, was up for love on Kvitova in the semifinals in New Haven. So she's playing well up in New Haven, which will give her confidence. The worrisome thing for me with Radvanska is that she's playing New Haven with a ridiculous amount of kinesio tape around her right shoulder. So it's like that thing where it's like, Aga, like you can't come to a slam and be held together by tape. It's not going to work for two weeks. It never has worked well for her for two weeks. Even when she comes into a slam and she's healthy, usually by the quarterfinals, there's a piece of tape on her somewhere. Something has to be held together. So I don't really love that aspect of it. Now, that being said, you know, a very good draw to get into the second week, um, into the fourth round where, yeah, potentially could play... You know, Bachinski, who really hasn't been playing great the last couple of months. She's taken some bad losses. Um, Kiki Burton's hasn't really been the same Kiki from the French Open. Um, So this is a a soft, soft, soft quarter. Bouchard is in this eighth. Bouchard's in that eighth. Um, You know, and so for her to get out of it, it's not going to take, I think, too much. But again, she doesn't like the U.S. Open, has never performed well here. That, 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 you know, that counts for a lot. Venus has a potentially tricky draw. Uh, Miller's second round. Wickmeyer's had a pretty solid um, uh, summer. She won Washington, and she Venus recently lost to another Belgian. So that's the end of my analysis there. Uh, <laughs> I, I just Venus Venus has been has been scratchy in, in singles, uh, and even Wimbledon where she made semis, it wasn't the most impressive semi run. Like when you actually watch the matches, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of her in this tournament. I would I would pick Pliskova over her confidently if they were to meet fourth round. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, bottom half of the draw, which is Madison Keys in this quarter uh, with Muguruza. Uh, and Madison Keys, uh, you were circling danger in her first match. or She's got an interesting little run here. Yeah, she's going to basically have to beat up on a bunch of Americans, most likely, to get into the, the second week. And uh, that's not always an easy thing for Madison. I mean, she, we all know that she has a great game. It's a big game. It's a game that works. And it's a game that should excel here at the U.S. Open. But playing a good friend in Allison Risk in the first round, those are kind of those matchups that can play with, with Keyes's, uh head a little bit, her mm-hmm. emotions. So she had even, a really like weird loss to Gibbs in, in the Wells this yeah, year, which is another American y matchup. It just, you know, it, yeah. it's tough. So she could, she'll open against Allison Risk. She will play either Madison Bringo or Kayla Day, an American wild card, in the second round. Third round, she could play Coco Vandeweghe. 
um, who opens against Naomi Osaka. That match could be very, very fun. Yeah. Um, and all that to lead to a fourth round where she most likely, I think, will play Svetlana Kuznetsova or Barbara Strutseva, um, both playing very, very good tennis. Not easy matchups, either of those for Madison. So it's a very, it's not an easy draw. It's not a hard draw. It's just a slam draw. I think for, for Maddie, yeah. it's a standard slam draw. Um, with an American twist. With an American which twist. Which makes it a little awkward. Uh, fun fact on uh, Naomi Osaka, never lost in the first or second round of a slam. It's amazing. Granny, only two slams, but still, that's a pretty good start. And Dari so, Kasakina has that same record. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, all right. The next section is the really popcorn-y one. Um, the next little, sorry, the little octet, which features uh, Stritzova against Nicolescu, two fans, two people, people... People who know who you know who you are if you're excited for Stritzova. If you know, then you know. For Stritzova and Nicolescu. Um, it'll be great. Very glad every court is streaming here. Uh, <laughs> and then Kuznetsova and Schiavone also in that section. Um, and then I've, on a different level, uh, Wozniacki Townsend's also in there. Wozniacki is just kind of like a what is going on with Wozniacki a uh, year on from, I guess, here is where she lost to Tchaikovsky last year. Yeah. And so she is, she's really low in the race. She's barely top 100 in the race this year. Um, this is sort of a, uh, uh, you know, and it's not the worst draw. She's going to say it's a bad draw, but it's not the worst draw getting Kuznetsova second round if you're unseated. If you're so. unseated, you're going to... And she's done well against Kuznetsova, so... If you're unseated, you're going to get a bad draw. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you are going to face seeds early. She got bad draws um, when she was seated. That yes, was her issue. No, she kept getting sure. Azarenko when Azarenko was unseated. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, she hasn't had a ton of luck with the, with the draws, so this is actually somewhat doable. When Taylor Townsend has played Wozniacki tough in the past, um, in... Not in full matches, but at least for one set. They, I think she's taken her to two tie breaks or something like that. Taylor Townsend in two separate matches. So that's definitely one that, that people will be tuning into. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki not working with David Cotiza anymore. Um, so that has split. Uh, she tweeted today that the reason for that was because David wanted to spend more time with his family. So that's... Yeah. That's His that. family in the top 100. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of question marks around Caroline Wozniacki, not unlike a Eugenie Bouchard, two players who, you know, are marquee players when they're winning matches. Unfortunately, they've, they've come to the U.S. Open very much under the radar um, and kind of uh, people, I think, looking past uh, both of them. Um, and that's kind of the cruelty of the sport. you got to win to stay in the headlines. Uh, with this disrupted Olympic summer, the U.S. Open series uh, standings were very janky, especially on the men's <laughs> side. Uh, Katie Shikori won it with 85 points, which is less than you even get for winning a Masters because they have a rule that you have to wait, play two tournaments that earn points at two tournaments, which means I think at least making third round, um, I think. Uh, and so Katie Shikori gets it with 85 points. Kanta is one of the leaders on the women's side. She won Stanford. Her seems much more legit winning a, a title, at least, um, even if not one of the bigger ones. Uh, she's in a part of the draw, again, a, a comfy first week, I would think, for her. Um, she's not the most. I don't know if she's completely reliable yet. I still, don't, I still don't know what to make of Joe Conta. I just, I don't get that. This is like Explain people. It. Talk step, your feelings People out, need man. to step back and realize this was like it's never supposed. It was never supposed to happen. She's like, I think it was. Yeah, someone was saying like her nickname is like Joe of all people, Conta, <laughs> which is just like, which is not, which is, it's good and bad. It's like who would have thought that like she was the one who would be in this position, being this reliable closing in on top 10 player she was never someone who was like a highly touted prospect at all even in british circles and they love to hype people she was not one i'm serious they, no, she was I'm not sure. someone yeah. who was getting like major hype so she just came out of nowhere and was like hey you know what i'm gonna be a top 20 player let's that sounds that sounds fun 
and just did it, and it's bizarre. Um, anyway, she's in a section with Benchich. A lot of question marks. Uh, I like Conte to get through. Maddox Sands can be a tricky first round. And maybe there is a partisan crowd. I'm not sure where that match will be placed. And Olympic bump, all these yeah. sorts of things. You know, yeah. We'll uh, see. Not, but not, but not Bethany worst. hasn't played great, great singles, singles not at all. this year. At all. Um, and so then the next, uh, the winner, Conte will get through to fourth round to play. The, probably the winner, I see very clear road for both of Puig and Muguruza. Uh, Puig, obviously, as we've discussed, you know, Olympic medalist. And she flattened Muguruza in Rio 1-1, one and one, uh, was the most shocking. I think one scoreline of the Olympics was that one. Um, who do you, who do you like to get through to the, uh, the quarters? I assume to face Madison, you're thinking. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be Garbina. Um, again, a player who hasn't made it past the third round here. Um, but she hasn't played that a ton here, here yeah. either. So, uh, but, you know, and admits that there's just kind of a bit of a New York hex, uh, but she wants to break through. And I think that with Garbina, she has had the ability if you set like the French Open aside, the ability to play at tournaments where she doesn't really like them or get the vibe of them and break through. And, and you can think of the Wimbledon final uh, that she made where she was just like, I hate grass. And then all of a sudden she was like, holy crap, I'm in the final. So that could happen she's here. She's a good player. She's I a mean, good she's player. And she, played, and she played well in Cincinnati. I was actually very impressed with her until she ran into the buzzsaw that is Karolina Pushkova, which, who mowed down everybody. Yeah. Um, and what just came out in a very, very flat match. But it's a very good draw for her. I think that that third rounder between, um, you know, Muguruza and Puig will be big. I still think Muguruza gets through that match. I'm just not convinced yet that Puig is kind of the honeymoon is over yet. Well, no, I also just don't think the honeymoon is over yet for her. And, and nor, nor does it, ne- nor should it be necessarily. I, like, you mean the honeymoon is over? No, I think that she's still in the honeymoon phase of, like, getting the gold medal. Which is a bad thing. Right. Oh, I thought honeymoons were nice. No. They, it is a okay the honeymoon is good like here's the thing I think that she is stuck in the honeymoon phase of the afterglow of the afterglow, Olympics okay. and because of that she will not necessarily play here but I also don't think that she should like abbreviate her afterglow or her stop after, glowing. No, yeah stop glowing. you know what I mean yeah, like sure. enjoy it like live it up you're gonna play here you're gonna make you know sensibly make the third round get good court assignments the Puerto Ricans should come out here and support yeah, you. I'm looking forward to the Puerto Ricans. I, I'm looking forward to that too, and I want her to enjoy that. So, but and I think that you know the reception back home was insane. The the, the, the parades were amazing. So you know, I, I just don't think that Puig is at the point where she can do it again right now. No, but that might happen in a few months, like but maybe for, in Asia. But, or but for me, I think I think she does have it in her to say beat Muguruza and then lose to Kanta. I could see that. Yeah. For sure. That's almost what I'll pick. Although at the same I'll time, that's that. what we kind of thought that she might do in, in Rio. You know, she beat Muguruza, and then she had that match Siegman. against Siegemann. That was going to be the flop match. The she better than She is, but you know what I mean. Like, it's that whole, yeah. like, you know, Madison beat uh, Venus, but now she's going to lose to Brangle at the Australian Open kind of logic. You know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, bottom quarter, Roberta Vinci, defending finalist. Uh, just bears repeating because it's amazing. Uh, she has a workable draw. She's starting to play a little better. Had a good New Haven uh, time for herself. Uh, I, I think pick I, up a foot injury. Okay, so, that I didn't uh, know. In New Haven, yes. So I'm not entirely sure. Vinci's in a great, great spot. So she might be pretty vulnerable in the second round. Uh, if, Even Freed. Mikhail gets through Freedsome, Yep. Also a good hardcore player. You got Putin, Seva, and Lisicki in there. Doi, our girl, seated. Finally. At a slam. I hand wrote the draw and tweeted the photos of as the seats came in. And someone would be like, what did, what did you write there? Doi can't be seated. And I was like, no, that's just Doi. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, Yusaki Doi seated. It's amazing. Uh, I would expect Sibokova 
to get through it. Sobokov's got a really nice draw. Opening against Lynette, then Rodina or Danielle Collins. I mean, that's kind of dreamy. I would think I would think Sobokov in the next quarters. Yeah, I think that that's a good, that's a pretty good bet there. Um, I, I don't think that Domi has been playing that great in the last, uh, you know, since Wimbledon. So that's the only thing. I just don't think that the, the Dominica Sobokova who wowed us, you know, at, at, at Wimbledon or earlier in the season with all those wins over Redvanska on clay as well. And on the hard courts in Acapulco, winning that title over, or not, no, she lost to, no, she won. Yeah, but I don't think anybody's been playing well. There have been people in, in this well, section. In this section? Yeah. Kvitova is back at yeah, it. Kvitova's below playing her, better. Yeah. Oh, in this section. And, and to get Domi to the quarter is what I'm saying. No, I know. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm okay. just saying, like, I'm just getting the, throwing in the caveat of, okay. like, she's not playing that great. Like, I agree with you. I would pick her to make the quarters, but I just, I haven't been particularly impressed with her. Okay. Last section, Kerber, Kvitova. Uh, Kerber, again, going for number one after being one match away, one Pliskova away from getting number one in Cincinnati. She has a bit more driver's seat here because uh, Ser- Serena she has the lead. Yeah, she has the lead. If, if, it all, if they all lost first round, it would be Kerber. Um, do you think, A, Kerber will leave this tournament number one? And, B, do you think that she... How do you think Kerber will do it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think her draws pretty good i think that the spoiler in the draw for her is kvitova depending if, if petra gets hot and they are potentially slated to meet in the round of 16 um i do think that kerber will leave here at number one yeah because serena does kerber does go into the tournament with a big point lead um once the, the points from the u.s open drops on monday now obviously the way that the rankings are calculated serena remains that number one over the next two weeks which is why she will tie Giuseppe graf's record for consecutive weeks at number one at 186, which will pick up in the second week of the U.S. Open. Question of whether or not she's going to break. I mean, the math is hilarious. I mean, that basically she's playing to break two graph records. Right. Um, so in order to retain the number one ranking, in case people haven't kind of uh, been been keeping up, uh, Serena Williams needs to make at least the semifinals. Which means she can't lose to Howland, which we said Correct. is a possibility. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if she goes out before the semifinals, she will absolutely lose number one, regardless of what happens the rest of the draw. Kerber, Muguruza, and Radvanska all have a uh, mathematical opportunity to get it. Kerber is the one that's in the driving seat to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that Kerber can kind of go in, and as opposed to Cincinnati, where it was kind of in her hands, she had to win the tournament. In this one, it's kind of not completely. I mean, it, it, it is actually in her hand, and it's up for, like, to somebody up for Serena to take it back, right? She yeah. has to make the semifinals. So I think that Kerber can play with a little bit less... Uh, Less pressure. Um, but, yeah, it's a great draw. First round, Herkov, slight, you know, potential trouble in the second round, possibly with a Cornet or Lucic Baroni, who have, you know, upset potential, obviously. Third round, Sara Arani, who has not been playing great. And then, yeah, fourth round could be Kvitova or Svitolina. I think if she gets through that, I think she's good to the semifinal. And then we'll see from there. She's done well against Madison Keys. So I would pick Kerber to make the final and I'm not sure about the top half. I Serena against the field, with just Serena's question marks, I would pick the field. At the same time, do I pick Serena to lose any individual match? Probably it's not. always that. I don't know. I, 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 I am going to just not make a prediction for who wins this tournament. I that's my Welcome to my fifth side. Fifth amendment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't I do, do it. sometimes I do it, but here I'm just not into it. Not feeling I'll pick Andy Murray to win the men. Okay. But women, nah. Fair. Not feeling it. Okay. That's uh, your right. Yeah. I feel great about it. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for listening to this show with picks and non-picks alike. Uh, if you want to follow along with us and you want to pick us when you're not listening to us, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Follow us each individually on Twitter. Also, I'm at Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is at 40 Dis Twits and at WTA underscore insider for all the WTA insider coverage you could ever want and need of these lovely ladies of the women's sport. Just yay. Yay for all. <laughs> yay for all that. Send us questions for upcoming episodes. Uh, no challenge demanding at gmail.com. We'll try to do a bunch of shows during the open. We'll see how things play out. Should be a pretty steady schedule, I would hope, with the roof and everything. Time will tell. And yeah, uh, executive producers of No Challenge Remaining are Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us reviews on iTunes and any other podcast app of your choice. We're there for you to get delivered automatically. We'll appreciate you doing that. And also, um, I'm just going to stay right away into my rave which was about our postcard buying experience in New York. Yes. Um, because we have we bought all the postcards. All the postcards have not been sent for the European slams, but we have all the postcards purchased. And New York was by far, and again, maybe it's just being American, it's like knowing how to relate to like that sort of thing or kind of the same ethos, was by far the most satisfying postcard buying experience because the shop owners were baffled and <laughs> amazed and giddy that we were buying hundreds of postcards. In France, they were dicks, and they like demanded to count them individually, and they like, came up with some number that was like six different than mine. It was like, this is not three hundred, this is three hundred and six. Like, fine, okay, whatever. It's just, yeah. And then in uh, Australia, they didn't react at all, which wasn't right either, because we're doing a bizarre thing by buying hundreds of postcards. And in, Wimbledon you know, was straightforward because they had like boxes of Wimbledon postcards. We just Wimbled- bought four boxes. Wimbledon, that was, fine. <laughs> Wimbledon was uneventful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but New York was just delightful, and it was a, a fun Times Square moment. And so you guys should all be getting your postcards hopefully uh end of september for all of them it's our yep. goal cool that's that's my rave. rave it's a good rave it's a good rave yay new york um my rave uh two twofold one's a bit of a plug and then the other's a rave but the plug is racket magazine yes out and it is out um and if you are coming to the u.s open obviously you can still subscribe to racket um, just go to the website. I think it's racketmag.com. So, um, and you can subscribe at $60 to subscribe for, uh, uh, four issues. But if you're on site at the U S open, they're selling racket magazines at the U S open bookstore. So if you're here and you want to check it out, if you want to just touch it, it's so beautiful and cool. And it got a shout out in the New York times style magazine, which is amazing. Don't just touch it, buy it, buy it too. I mean, <laughs> buying it would be helpful. Don't molest the magazine. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty exciting and it's a very cool thing to be a part of. And I'm really excited to that. It's finally out and big shout out to, to Caitlin Thompson and David Shaftel who have done all of the heavy lifting, um, in terms of getting the magazine organized, kickstarted, published, printed, you know, getting the, the stories farmed out. It's just uh, Sasha Ferrer Jones is in the first. Oh, no, I can't. I just, it's so amazing. Anyways, Are you in the first episode? I'm not. I'm not in the first edition. But, uh, but yeah, which is a good thing. That's another selling point. I'm not, I'm not, my name is in <laughs> it, but that's about all. Um, so there is that. Um, in terms of my rave. That was a rave. It was. Where did it go? It was in my head. Um, so I finally came and I bought an iPad, <laughs> which is like super weird. And the reason why I wouldn't buy one for a really long time was because I had an iPhone and I had a MacBook and I just couldn't figure out conceptually where the iPad would fit into the, that, like what it would do that those two things didn't do. Anyway, so I've had it for a few days. It's great. I really enjoy it. Um, I still, 
am trying to figure out like how to use it from a productivity standpoint in a way that supplements as opposed to is completely redundant to what I already have for my MacBook, my laptop and my, um, my phone. So if there's anybody out there though, that has the same sort of thing where you have all three and you have actually found a way to like make them all work together seamlessly to really enhance your productivity tweet me let me know I'm, I'm curious I would like to get your your thoughts on this I would think for our jobs in particular it'd be really good for just like streaming yeah video. you saw what how I've been using it yeah. right which is that one of the big reason why I did buy it is for that is so that when I'm on the road I have a second screen I can work on my laptop while streaming matches or putting up live scoreboards you know things like that when you know novel tournaments are like a slam where it's all accessible on a TV yeah. in front of you so yeah so that that that's working so far i'm using it for streaming but if there's anything else if there's apps that you love the apple pencil is really cool i kind of i splurged and i bought that too and it's been pretty fun but yeah just any suggestions i would love to hear and we would love to hear from you on all sorts of things you know tweet us email us and say goodbye to us as we sign off in this episode from new york in new york concrete jungle wet dream tomato there's nothing you can't do. Welcome to the bright light, baby.